incredible. And I suppose you, you're very lucky to have that um, language in common because if you show up in Mongolia tomorrow and you don't, you know, you don't speak the same language as someone, but you can go off and ride with them, you're already breaking down that barrier, I guess. I mean, that's a, a really beautiful way of thinking about it. It means you can travel to all these cultures that that evolve around horses and find a kind of a commonality straight away. Howdy, and welcome to Horse People, a podcast diving into the stories behind some of the world's everyday equestrians. My goal is to weave a narrative about entrepreneurs, equine professionals, and horseback riders alike, and the stories about the lives they've built. I'm your host, Gideon Kutkowski. My name is Kim Bartley, and I'm a documentary maker, so I uh, just kind of throw myself into different worlds all the time for whatever documentary I'm making. And uh, yeah, I'm very privileged. I have a great job. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, you you definitely have one of the uh, the coolest jobs out there. But I'm curious, like, where did your passion for filmmaking come from? Um, it started uh, kind of by mistake. It was a little bit random. Um, I was working in a TV station as a researcher when I was in my uh, well, would have been early twenties, and the war in Kosovo started and it was also it coincided with the tv station getting their first digital cameras which were brand new at the time and no one knew how to use them or what they were for and they just sent me off to the front line with a camera that I'd never used and didn't know how to use but I was delighted to go it was an experience and uh and that was it and I kind of never stopped then I just um that's where it happened so you shot your first report in Kosovo during the Kosovo war yeah, so with a camera a, that I didn't know how to use. <laughs> with a camera that you didn't know how to use. You must be a bit of an adrenaline junkie. <laughs> I probably was once once upon a time. I've, I've probably yeah, I'm not as much now. I did that for quite. A, I did that for two, three years. After that, then I, I I worked as a kind of part of an emergency response team with um uh, an NGO here that kind of works in emergency response. So whether it's war zones or earthquakes or that kind of thing. So I would have done a lot of that um, for a few years. And then I just, yeah, I, I think you, I think you either, you either go down that path and you're lost to it or you change in time. And I, I don't think it's necessarily a very healthy way to live. So I don't really do that anymore. I did Got it for it, yeah. quite some time. Yeah. No, that, that makes sense. I, I am kind of curious though, like what's it like to be on the, on the front lines of, of things like that behind the camera, you know? Um, it's, uh, there's definitely a bit of an adrenaline rush. I don't think anyone can deny that. However, I think one thing that's unfortunate is that there tends to be the media. Well, look, it may be different now because that's a a while ago. I think now there's a lot more people running around with cameras doing their own thing, but there would have been very much a media pack back when I did it. So, you know, all the usual war correspondents and all of that. So there's a tendency to, I don't know. It's uh, it's 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 interesting, but you tend to very much go or back then you tend to go very much with the group. So everyone knows, oh, something terrible has happened here and everyone shows up and you have, you know, poor, unfortunate people surrounded with a pack of 20 reporters from all over the world with cameras. And I just never really liked that. It felt a bit like vultures. Mm-hmm. I think that's different now with, you know, citizen filmmaking and that kind of thing. It's not the same. But uh, so, yeah, so it's it's it's. Look, it's exciting. It's a little scary at times. It's interesting. You meet very, very interesting people 
who are there for all kinds of reasons, from crazy mercenaries to people who have had to flee their homes to, you know, other reporters from other countries. So it's, it's, it was great. It was great when I, I enjoyed it when I did it. Yeah, yeah, totally. How do you think that experience, those experiences at the beginning kind of like shaped the, the career that you're in now, like going from being in the front lines, all of this um, like high, um, high risk, high reward kind of thing to, Going yeah. Into well, you know what? What I always loved uh, other people's stories. I love watching people. I love hearing what people have to say. And I suppose what what really what I found really interesting was just that sense of being thrown into a world that's completely foreign to you uh, at a at a particularly difficult time for people. Obviously, when I was doing that back then, but I suppose I was always interested in making that connection where you link people up and kind of give get a create a sense of empathy. So it's not just a, another image of a poor refugee that doesn't have a name and blends into the next. I always wanted to kind of draw out the humanity and the story of each individual that I met. So that that first report I did. Um, was they tried to raise money around it and they raised more money in one evening than they had in months previous, kind of down to the the the, 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 the stories that people told us. And I just kind of thought, okay, well, actually, you know, I, I, can, I can change things. I can make people stop and think about things in a different way if I take time to get to know people and spend a bit of time with them and, and just find a way of telling, you know, giving them an opportunity to tell their story to the world in a way. So that's, I suppose, what appealed to me. And I've carried on doing that, I guess. That's what I like to do is try and highlight issues or stories that I feel are important um, and help help collaborate with people to give them a platform that they might not otherwise have, you know? Totally, Yeah. Well, one thing that kind of uh, caught my attention is you, you said you like to draw out the humanity and you like to like really um, create trusting relationships with the people that you're uh, film filming. Like, do you have a process to do that? Like, I imagine, you know, not anyone can just go up to someone they don't know and create a trusting relationship. Like, how? How do you do that? <laughs> I'm asking. Yeah, well, you know, it's no, it's a funny one because I, I teach documentary as well. And it's a question that, you know, students always ask, and how do you do it? And I don't think there's a, I don't think there's an answer. I think it's a, mm. it's a, it's a chemistry. It's like, you know, how do you, how do you make someone go out with you? <laughs> you can't do that. You know, how do you make someone fall in love with you? Yeah. I think all those things are relationship based. And I think that, um, I mean, okay, w- without being glib, but I, I do think that, <laughs> that that if you can spend time with people, um, maybe even before you start filming with them, that obviously goes a long way because you, you know, if you can, if you get an opportunity to spend time with someone on one or more occasions before you ever even start filming that sometimes you know you you know as soon as you've met someone previously you just have a different chemistry with them you're probably more relaxed with them especially if you connect and look the other thing is I have you know I have on occasion had ideas to make documentaries and then met people and just not connected just kind of felt that's just not there and then I don't do it. There's no point. I don't think I can make the kind of documentaries that I make unless I have a connection with someone. And that's really, yeah, it is. It's chemistry. There's no, uh, you can't teach it or learn it, I don't think. No, yeah. Um, chemistry is either there or it isn't, right? That's kind of the Exactly. Beauty. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
So, and I think you need to be open to the world. I suppose you can't come into anyone's life with preconceived notions. You need to hmm. be open to discovering what their world is about, you know? Yeah, totally. Which uh, is actually kind of a perfect segue. If I'm, Let's chat a little bit about your most recent documentary, Pure Grit. Um, how did... How, can you, like how did that come about like what's the story <laughs> uh, well that came about it so it's it's a story uh, centered around a young native american woman who um who is uh or, or was an undefeated bareback uh indian relay racer well she wasn't relay racing when i first met her she was racing on the flat so that was the maiden races the relay is when you swap horses and she wasn't doing that in the beginning she went on to do that um, and that was a weird one because obviously I'm based in Ireland and she's a million miles away in Wyoming. But I was in the US filming a documentary kind of around issues around race. And I ended up on a reservation and came across just I happened to be there on the day of a race. And I just was completely, you know, blew my mind. It was really um, it was very interesting. I look one thing as well, which I'm not sure whether any of people listening to this podcast would be aware of but there's there is only one kind of indigenous community in Ireland they're called Irish travelers um and there are a lot of parallels with native americans in terms of just historically there've been a lot of parallels but also in terms of their love of horses and the documentary that i was doing that first time when i ended up meeting charmaine was with an irish traveler and he was kind of looking at parallels and and issues around race that he has experienced racism towards him in ireland and you know how the parallels over in the us with some native americans and um and that love of horses is something he grew up with all the well pretty much every irish traveler i've ever met can bear back or i was going to say race they don't do racing here but mm. they ride so ride bareback and, you know, you see horses in parts of the city, obviously, because their communities are marginalized. A lot of them live in kind of poor uh, rundown areas of the city. And you see kids running around on bareback on horses, you know, taking them into the buildings, into high rises. I mean, it's kind of mad, crazy looking. So anyway, that's how I met. Uh, that's how I came across the, the Indian relay racing. And I just became interested in women racers because most of the guy most of the people that were there when I saw it were made male mm -hmm. and I just got on Facebook and started looking around for female racers and came across Charmaine that way so I met her online if you like um and we spoke and messaged and I then went to Wyoming a few months later because I kind of we kind of clicked online and I it was a risk, you know, to go all the way over there. I didn't know how it would work out, but it, it worked out well. So that yeah, was that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you when you were messaging back and forth online, it, did you have in mind that you wanted to film a documentary already or was this OK? You did. No, absolutely. I suppose when I uh, Charmaine is very striking. She's very interesting looking. She has a real kind of uh, a real look, you, you know, even the way she dresses and everything. So. She was she I was interested in female bareback racing. Uh, she like visually she was very interesting to look at. And then the minute we spoke and messaged, she was really very open and kind of very interested. So I told her I was thinking of doing a documentary. Obviously, I had no idea until I met her whether that it was going to work out. You know, some people are have amazing personalities. And the minute you switch the camera on, they 
I shrivel up and hide. I, you know, I, I'm not saying I have an amazing personality, but certainly if you put a camera on me, I'm gone. I don't want to be on camera. So I kind of told her that that's what I was hoping to do, but I had no idea till we met what it would work out like. And so it, it was great. We met and we started filming the next day. Oh, um, wow. And I traveled up there. The first time I went to meet her, I was there for four days. I had my camera because I'd been elsewhere filming. I didn't plan on shooting anything. And as it worked out, we filmed for the four days and every single thing I shot in those four days ended up in the final documentary three, four years later. So, yeah. Whoa. Whoa. Um, I was going to ask like how long it takes um, to like shoot the documentary and then ultimately release it. It's three to four years. seems like a long time. Is that pretty average? Uh, It really depends. I mean, the type of documentaries I often do, not always like this would be called kind of observational documentaries. So Mm. it's very much you're following someone's life and you don't know where that's going to take you. Um, And obviously you, you have to decide when the end point is. And in this case, she, you know, it took a long time for her to get back in the game and start racing again. And I just wanted to be there when she did start racing again. So I stuck by her. So I kind of, you know, I didn't know, I didn't expect to be honest that it would take that long. Um, I was filming with her for two and a half, almost three years. And then I suppose the edit was another kind of six months on top of that. So it wouldn't usually be that long. And it's great if it is. I mean, it's lovely to be able to spend that much time. But uh, but it's, it, you know, we, we didn't know going into it how long it was going to take. Yeah. Do you have going into it like an idea of what the the documentary will look like? I'm I'm thinking of a script, you know, I know obviously it's not scripted, but like, do you know what you want to put into there? I suppose you're kind of, I, I would say, cause I shoot as well. So I'm the camera person and the director. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm very much editing in my head as I go along. So, you know, I might be filming something and kind of know in my heart, this really isn't going to make the cut. So I might not carry on filming that particular storyline or whatever it is. But no, nothing is in any way kind of plotted out or, or scripted, um, which is why it's a, you know, it's a hard sell of a documentary to even get funded because you don't really know. All I knew vaguely was she planned to start racing again because she had stopped due to family circumstances. And I wanted to kind of follow her on that journey. So the kind of logical end would be, you know, yeah, to sorry. end with her g- getting back um racing again but no it's uh, no and I look the difficulty too with these types of documentaries it's one thing if you live there but you know it took it was expensive and you know two and a half almost three days to get from where I live to where she lived um or still lives and uh that means that if something interesting happened in her life she'd ring me and go hey you know this is happening next week and you know Eight times out of ten, I wasn't in a position to be able to drop everything and go over to 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 film that. So it's not a it's I don't recommend it. If you're doing this kind of documentary, try to do it somewhere that you can actually get to by car. It helps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not only do you have to cross the pond, but then you have to drive to the reservation, I imagine. Right. So it must take a while. Yeah. Yeah. It was a long old trek. Um, I I noticed actually that you ended up getting Taylor Sheridan to uh, executive produce the the movie. Um, Obviously, he's a big name uh, now more than he was five years ago. But 
how, how did how did that happen? Like, w- what is the role of an executive producer? Well, an exec producer can be anything, really. It can be someone who brings funding. It can be someone who helps uh, bring certain elements to the film that you need. It can be someone who helps publicize it. I suppose that it would help the film to have an exec producer who was someone with a name of sorts. Like you said, he wasn't as super famous then as he is now, but he was very well established and had made some really good films. Um, And because he'd made Wind River, um, there was obviously there were parallels there in terms of subject matter, but also um, I'd read an article in which it said that um, following the whole Harvey Weinstein disaster, that they had wrangled some of the rights back and some of the funding or some of the the money that was made on the Wind River movie was donated to uh, an indigenous women's group, a women's rights group. And I, I kind of liked that and I thought, okay, well, that's a network I'd like to be able to plug into in a way because I'd like this film to be able to, you know, work in that way, especially Charmaine always wanted her story to serve as an example or as a, to you know, to kind of be a role model for the young women who might be going to go through similar things that she experienced. Um, so that was why. So I reached out. I never expected to hear back from him. Um, and we heard back from him really quickly, which was great. And the best thing was that he was able to put us in touch with his two kind of um, uh, Native American. They're they're actually lawyers, but they're advisors, if you like, consultants on all the films that he works with that have any kind of a, a, a Native storyline. Or mm-hmm. so Daryl Begay, uh, who who's Navajo came on board and helped us in Wind River kind of negotiate everything we needed to with the two tribes and kind of get all the permits and all of that sorted out, which, you know, I I had no experience of that. So that was fantastic. And it just made, it was just great, you know, because we had to present our idea to the, It's a, it, there are two tribes in the Wind River Reservation. Usually there's only one. Um, it's unusual in that way. So we had to go, myself, Charmaine, present to the two tribes, explain why we wanted to do this and, you know, where it would be shown and that kind of thing. So, yeah, so it was great having him on board because it kind of made all of that easier. And and I might have missed out on certain things I wasn't aware of if it wasn't for them, you know. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, I, I can only imagine how difficult it might be to not only go into a, an, an area of the U.S. that you're not familiar with, but then go into it in a you know, with, with the idea to film and, and broadcast something that might be so dear to their hearts, right? Yeah, of course. And you, I mean, you, no matter where you are in the world, even if it's uh, down the road from where I live here, you, you need to kind of respect the, 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 the place, the village, the town, the county, the country, wherever it is you are, you want people who are there to be involved and be happy with what it is you're doing. So obviously, you know, the film is focused very much on Charmaine and her family rather than the wider uh, society. You know, it's not about the Wind River Reservation, but by virtue of that being her home, it was important to get, you know, the the the, the wider community involved. And for her to present to them her reasons for wanting to make the film as well, because we weren't just kind of marching in with our cameras. I mean, when I say we, it's tiny crew, it's just me and the sound recordist anyway. There was just two of us. <laughs> So so that was great. And also Charmaine got a real kick out of it because years later then, like three years later, she got to um she got to be an extra in one of the Yellowstone episodes as a 
as a rider on her horse. And yeah, so it was good, good experience for her. It came out of it as well. Oh, that's awesome. That's so cool. That that is that is that sounds like a like really a special time. Pure grit follows Charmaine and it kind of becomes a little bit of a love story too no it's it's it, you you find a way to mix the love the love story and also the horses um how how does that how does that play out like maybe can you elaborate on like what you see behind the camera versus what we see on film well i suppose when i when when i met charmaine she was in this relationship that was brand new with this gorgeous, lovely, bubbly person called Savannah, who was a little bit younger than her and who lived in, De- who was from Denver. Um, but they'd met on uh, Facebook and moved in together without ever, ever, like when they first met, Savannah packed her bags, got on a Greyhound bus, went up to Wyoming and that was it. They met that day and that day she moved in to Charmaine's house. That whole dynamic Maybe I'm old fashioned. I, I I used to meet people in, you know, discos or whatever when I was <laughs> their age. But um, I just found it really interesting because Savannah had um, a small bit of or she, you know, her mom was Native American. So she had similar heritage, but not her dad. But she had no connection to her culture at all. And coming up to live on the reservation suddenly she was just in this world which she really knew nothing about and found it very very different to you know she talks about in the film you know the mall was across the road she lived in a very kind of uh industrial part of Denver and it was just a whole new world so in a way it was a whole new world for me but filming it it was just lovely to see her kind of her discovering this world as well and then look who doesn't know who doesn't love a love story you know they were so they were so in love when we met uh it was kind of it was just really nice now obviously along the way some things changed and that's that's life and that's young love isn't it but uh yeah I thought it was lovely to be able to have more than just the horse and the racing story because it just broadened it out and um and I suppose as well both girls had their own kind of issues in their childhood that made it difficult for them to to open up to someone else or to be trusting in a relationship and that was always going to be part of the story Charmaine's past you know she's a survivor of of abuse and that plays out in your life as an adult it plays out in your relationships and uh and I think very much the relationship they had was a product of both their childhoods and their pasts um and I suppose that aspect was, you know, interesting as well because they're both very open about what 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 happened to them in in their in their past. But um, you just you know, it's life, isn't it? All this baggage can catch up with you or slow you down or you know. Um, so I so I, I their relationship was something that I was really interested in and kind of charmed by at the at the beginning anyway. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's young love, as you say it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I, you know, one of the things that I tried to always kind of chat about on the on the podcast is um, like your relationship with with horses. And so yeah. I understand that, that it might not be the same as like <laughs> Charmaine's, but I'm curious, like how perhaps being a part of that and and seeing it has 
like developed into something or or maybe not maybe maybe it's like you know what you stay away from horses so I don't know I'm yeah, I, I feel like a fraud being on your podcast because I'm, kinda, <laughs> I'm afraid of horses. It's so funny. I've had no experience with horses in my life at all. Um, I grew up in the city. I n- never went horse riding. I really had zero experience. And so my first experience of horses were these relay horses. Um, and, you know, for anyone who hasn't seen the documentary yet, but, you know, or who does, hasn't seen Indian relay racing, you know, these are fairly frisky horses um, and the sport itself is so kind of dangerous and horses come at you, at, you know, however many miles an hour. And it, it's all very intense. Uh, so if you're not comfortable with horses, which I think if you've never been around horses, they're, they're quite intimidating, especially if they're frisky. So this was my first uh, introduction to horses. So, yeah, I was nervous. Um, I there's so many shots that didn't make the cut where I'm kind of getting a shot and a horse looks at me or moves a funny way. And I'm like, whoa, I fell over about twice filming, just kind of in just stepping back into the void because a horse kind of turned quickly towards my camera and I just freaked out. So I'm not um, I. Yeah. And I the, the more I saw people around me on horses, the more I wished I could have that relationship and the more I wanted to try, but there were no horses there that anyone would have recommended me getting on for the first time uh, because they were just, you know, they weren't the right horses for that. So, so I'm still the same. I still haven't been on a horse and I still, um, yeah, I don't think I've got much better. I'm still, I'm still pretty nervous around them, but I've never met any other horses other than the Indian relay horses. So maybe if I go to a, you know, a sleepy farm somewhere in the Irish hills where the horses just eat grass and don't run around. I <laughs> wouldn't be as scared. <laughs> well, the, the Irish are known for, for having some big horses. So uh, I, I'm surprised that it, you know, it's not something that is more available um, because. Yeah. It, well, no, it is. Sorry. Yeah. No, sorry to interrupt. It absolutely is. Uh, I, I actually grew up in France. I grew up in Paris. So oh. downtown Paris, there were no horses. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and then I moved, uh, my parents are Irish. So, uh, you know, I, I always had a connection to Ireland, but I didn't, I didn't grow up here. And then I moved to rural Ireland a few years ago. So I live in a place now that is surrounded. There are horses everywhere. There's a lot of studs and, you know, there are, there are horses. I just haven't had the the, uh, the opportunity. I suppose I never even crossed my mind till I started that documentary. And then after doing the documentary, I developed this nervousness. So yeah, <laughs> I need to, I've done this podcast now. I need to go out and conquer my fear and get on a horse <laughs> next summer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it'd be, it'd be fun to, uh, you know, sh- you, you could shoot a short film, um, you know, one of those five, 10 minute ones where, where it's like the story of how to overcome <laughs> you know yeah. the fear yeah. of horses, so to speak. well I mean the thing is you know yeah I, I suppose if you you obviously are experienced with horses and I think if you grow up around them it's just second nature plus so if you take it that the only horses I was ever around were the relay races and then when I win we went with them to um you know rodeos or that kind of thing so again it's just the extremes yeah so you know it's kind of you watch it and you go, oh my God, I'm not getting up on that. You know, <laughs> I need to, I just need to see another side of it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, if if I'm ever around Ireland or something, I 
I'll make it my mission to when whenever I go across the to, to make something like that happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was looking at the films that are part of Equus and the and the um that amazing kind of trail, the Mustang trail across the country. And you mm-hmm. just see those images and you just go, oh my God, that is that's total freedom. It's just so it just looks like such it just looks like freedom. It look, looks like the most relaxing and amazing thing you could do. So that's definitely tempting. Yeah. yeah Another yeah. side of it. I'm I'm wondering for okay, so for me when I'm on horses or when I'm around horses, it's always, it feels like meditative, you know, it almost feels Mm. like, um, I like forget everything because I'm so focused on what I'm, what I need to do because you're on top of a, you know, 1200 pound living animal that in an instant could turn on you. Right. (laughs) And so you kind of forget everything and you're on there and you're just like thinking about, okay, the horse is looking this way, you're looking at its ears, you're posting or you're moving or you're looking around to make sure. I'm wondering, like, maybe for you, that kind of became your career, right? Maybe for you, the the filming or the editing kind of becomes that, or or maybe not. So my my question is, what have you seen over the course of your career that, like, has that similar feeling, you know? Is that a oh, fair wow. question? It is, but it's a, it's a, well, I don't know if it's a, 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 like, I I would say my equivalent to your being on a horse is probably being out in the middle of the sea. That to me Mm. is just, I find that just the most relaxing experience. Your cell phone doesn't work. You're going with the wind and your sails. I'm not a great sailor by any means at all, but I just find that experience just complete you know, you're on your own. And it's a little bit like you say, the power of the horses, you know, you're at the mercy of the sea and the wind. And that's, there's something kind of exhilarating about that. And you feel so small and powerless and, and at one with nature in a way, like, so that that's the only thing, but that really has nothing to do with, with work. I've never, I haven't inflicted my love of uh, sailing on the world in a documentary yet, (laughs) but uh but I suppose in terms of work and documentary, you know, I said earlier on, I'm very privileged to, through each new film I make, to be able to completely immerse myself in a world which you wouldn't, you know, it's it's the only way you can do that. I don't think, I don't even like going on holiday because I don't want to go somewhere and experience a place or a culture as a tourist because I'm so used to experiencing cultures and places by immersing myself in it by filming so if you say you can go tomorrow to thailand on a holiday i'd much rather take my camera and go to thailand and you know film something because i get a real satisfaction out of out of that sense of just discovering a world and really getting thrown into the deep end um and it's incredible and you meet just amazing people obviously not everyone you meet is amazing but you know you you just it's 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 a very rare privilege to be able to kind of cut through all the stuff that would probably take you weeks months if you were uh approaching it for another reason rather than making a documentary and I think also if people have bought into the idea of your film then they're even more open because they want to show you stuff they want you to experience things they want you to taste and feel and you know so that I get an absolute thrill out of that 
still to this day. And I don't even think of documentary making as work. You know, it's my life and I just absolutely, I love it, you know? Yeah. So I don't know if that's the same. I don't know if I've answered your question. Oh, that's, it totally is. Because um, for me, what, what you mentioned about like going and being thrown out in the deep end of a culture speaks at, to like this innate ability to assimilate really quickly and mm. assimilating assimilating to a culture is really hard to do if you're not part of it right or if you're not open to it and so being able to do that through the lens of a camera opens up opportunities for you that might not otherwise be available for anyone right yeah yeah uh, which i that's that's awesome that that like spoke to me because of the this idea of like horse cultures around the world is something that's always been really really interesting to me um parallel to what you mentioned in thailand of course but like there's horse cultures all around the world right the gauchos in argentina the uh bedouins in in the mediterranean the Irish yeah. travelers that, that I, you know, that I just found out about Native Americans and all these people have a different relationship with the horse. All these people have a different relationship um, with, with how they use the horse, you know, and that needs to, that, that is a certain assimilation that you can only get if you're there or if you're like open to learning from it you know drinking mare's milk in mongolia you know that stuff it doesn't well exactly yeah that's incredible and i suppose you you're very lucky to have that um language in common because if you show up in mongolia tomorrow and you don't you know you don't speak the same language as someone but you can go off and ride with them you're already breaking down that barrier i guess i mean that's a a really beautiful way of thinking about it it means you can travel to all these cultures that that evolve around horses and find a kind of a commonality straight away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It gave me chills just like talking about it, you know, and like thinking about it. Um, and full disclosure, uh, I, I am going to Mongolia in 2024 to race in a thousand kilometer horse race. Yes, uh, I know the one. I've seen I've seen that race. It's extraordinary. Yeah. And you're Mon- racing in it. Oh my yeah. god. <laughs> I got accepted wow. to, to race in it. And um honestly, it was a huge inspiration to start the Horse People podcast because I wanted as many opportunities to talk to people that I could possibly have uh before it, you know, to to just like learn more and, and be super immersed rather than um only a little bit immersed. Oh, wow. And that's a really tough race. I mean, you know, yeah, I, I, there's a documentary. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, I, I can look for the name and send it on to you. But there was a documentary made following someone who, uh, who who took part. I mean, it was about probably five, six, seven, maybe even years ago. But it's it's incredible. It's really stunning. Yeah, I, I think I've seen shorts of it on, on YouTube. Uh, I don't know if I've sat down and watched it, though. I, I Part of me there's kind of a, a beauty in going in without not knowing as much. <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> so part of definitely. me has been, has been like uh, avoiding that kind of stuff, but it's, it's definitely super, super interesting. And, and there's um, yeah, I'm really excited. And that's kind of like a bunch of uh, bucket list items crossing over right <laughs> into one. For sure. Yeah. Oh, well, good luck with it. That sounds amazing. What an adventure. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Wow. Yeah, I'm super excited. Um, but to 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 your point like one of 
one of the things about documentary filming that I'm I'm particularly curious about is how you also choose a new um, a subject or a new like story. So I'm curious for you, Kim, like what what story are you working on now, or or what's the next story that you kind of are marinating? You know, it's it's um it's a really it's it's kind of really hard to make a living making documentary unless you're doing the kind of you know the the six part true crime series for mm -hmm. uh, a streamer or something like that yeah like so I tend to mix things up um you really can only make a film like Pure Grit every few years because it takes so long and it's kind of so hard to get the funding that what I do in, in the meantime is I do um, kind of standalone one-hour documentaries for our version of PBS here. So, mm. um, and I tend to do those around subjects that I'm interested in, which are always kind of human interests and are generally around social justice issues. So, you know, I would do a lot around mental health or addiction or the foster care system or those kind of topics. That's kind of what, what I do uh, you know, I might do two or three of those every year. And that's, that's my, you know, that's how I pay the rent, if you like. And mm -hmm. then you're always marinating these bigger ideas for documentaries that might take a lot longer to get funded and to get made. So I've a couple of them in the, in the, in the pipeline now that I won't even say actually, because you're always better off not talking about these things totally. until they're in place. <laughs> but, um, but how, how I come up with them is generally, you know, it's it's generally just kind of look. It's either just reading something about someone or meeting someone and just having that sense in your gut of like, wow, this is really interesting. Because I suppose the subjects that I'm interested in uh, in everyday life, I get to do in those mm -hmm. TV documentaries that I do. So, you know, I specifically go looking for stories around issues that I find interesting. But for the longer documentaries, it's... Um, it's it's really kind of look it's just look and it's that chemistry you know or sometimes people approaching you you know you get an email out of the blue from someone going like I have this incredible story and it may or may not be an incredible story but you know I think when you when you tell stories for a living people tend to come to you as well a lot of the yeah. time or yeah. yeah I mean yeah of course that, that that makes a lot of sense and I guess another question that came up uh, before I um, start kind of wrapping up is what makes a good story? <laughs> <laughs> that is the million dollar question. Uh, well, I mean, what makes a good story is a beginning, a middle and an end and a little bit of, <laughs> you know, what's going to happen in the middle. But, um, but I suppose to, I, I, I can't answer that. I think, it, you know, there's so many different types of storytelling out there now the the world of of film and documentary has completely exploded and so it's so much more accessible to people as well now to be able to film their own things or whatever so i suppose different stories work for different people uh we may not like the same things but in terms of documentary for me it's more the power of documentary for me is the the power that a documentary has to kind of make you see something in a different light and 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 with that create empathy as well because i think unfortunately we live in a lot of little cocoons and bubbles where we have preconceived notions or stigma or you know all these things that stop us from connecting with others and very often when you do have the opportunity to connect with someone who you think you may have nothing in common with or completely disagree with or whatever it is 
then you actually find you have you have common ground. I think you probably always have some kind of human common ground. And I think, a, you know, a documentary can bridge that. Um, and I think that's the power of it. I, 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 that's what I strive to do. And when I see documentaries that really touch me, that's, I suppose, why they touch me. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so, so cool. So um, kind of turning it to the back end of the podcast section is I like to do these rapid fire questions oh um, no <laughs> <laughs> they're not they're not difficult and um I've adapted them a little bit to you uh mostly they're about horses and because you've never ridden I, uh, <laughs> I've adapted them slightly so um I'll, I'll go ahead and, and ask them but before I do that the question I always like to ask is like uh where where can people find you get in touch or, or even support your work I, my website is probably the easiest way to get in touch and where you can see the kind of work I'm doing or have done. And that's www.kimbartleydirector.com. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's probably the <laughs> best way. I'll, I'll make sure to put that in the, in the show notes so people can. Okay, cool. Thank you. Okay. So rapid fire questions. Okay. <laughs> Do you have a favorite documentary you've ever filmed? Ooh. I made a documentary uh, 25 years ago that completely changed my life because it was very successful called The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. And that was a kind of a fascinating one where I happened to be filming in Venezuela while there was a coup and I was in the presidential palace while the coup was happening. And that was a very, a very... You know, it was just a very interesting thing because I set out to make a particular documentary and all these things happened. And then the success, you know, then it was very successful. And then there was a lot of kickback politically, too. There was, you know, it it caused a big fuss. And I suppose in many ways, you know, launched my career because I suddenly had this really successful film and it opened doors. And so and I still think it's a really good documentary. I, I don't watch my stuff back, really, but I happen to see that one by chance a couple of years ago and I was like okay well that's still held up 25 years later not too bad so yeah <laughs> but but pure grid recently I suppose really that was just such a wonderful experience from beginning to end that it was a joy and it'll always you know it was one of those things I'll never forget I guess yeah yeah that's awesome the revolution shall not be televised right that's that's the name yeah of the... the revolution will not be televised yeah that was the one that's old now I mean it even looks you know it was filmed on old tape and it just looks really old but it's, it's a good story <laughs> okay cool that's that's awesome um do you have a favorite place you've ever worked Ooh, yes I love Colombia the country mm. Um, that's somewhere that I really, really enjoyed spending time. Yeah. I don't know if you want me to explain why or just. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah, if well, you, no, I, explain, I would end up asking about it. So. Oh, okay, cool. No, well, I've spent a lot of time in Latin America and um, and Colombia above all. I just found really, just a really vibrant place. And I suppose I, when I first went there was at a time where there was a lot of conflict still. And I think that um and 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 you know to a large extent it's a lot safer now for people to visit and i i think it's just an amazing place and very often i find through my work that countries that have suffered some kind of conflict um 
when you visit, uh, like another place that I absolutely love is is Lebanon. It's an amazing country. Beirut is a brilliant city. But I think people are very um, welcoming and really anxious to show you another side, not this side that you've just seen in the news about, you know, kidnappings or bombings or whatever it is. And that that in itself makes places very interesting, I think, because no one takes it for granted that you're there. You know, it's 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 um, people are, are 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 just really keen to show you another side of the country that, you know, most people don't know or a lot of people don't know if they haven't been there. So, yeah, but yeah, Colombia is Colombia is top of my list. I love I love that country. That's awesome. I'm actually I might be planning a trip to Chile towards the end of December. So. If you have any recommendations, I, I might. Oh I might. yeah, well, uh, a big horse country as well down there in the, yeah. in the, the, the you know crossover with the Pampas in Argentina, and yeah, wonderful. <laughs> It'd be fun. So, um, three more questions, but they're yeah. quick. So, knowing what you know now, what's one piece of advice you'd give your younger self? Maybe not to worry so much about what other people think. <laughs> I think as you get older, you kind of learn to just, you know, I think maybe I worried too much or, you know, tried to please people when you're even in a work situation, kind of, you know, making sure you're keeping everybody happy. I still like to make sure I keep everybody happy, but I think you'd kind of need to stay true to yourself and not worry about it too much. Um, and I don't think you can go wrong if you stay true to yourself, you're going to sleep well at night and uh, <laughs> do 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 what's right i think yeah that's awesome um if you could have dinner with one person dead or alive who would you have dinner with oh my god <laughs> i'm always making these lists and they're usually i have like 10 or 20 people oh that's a really difficult one um sorry now you really put me on the spot actually do you know what i'll pick someone alive i'd say martin scorsese <laughs> oh, okay. nice. The Amazing. filmmaker I really admire, who I find really entertaining, and who, uh, yeah, there's someone I'd have dinner with. Yeah. Yeah, that 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 makes sense. It checks out. <laughs> uh, awesome. And a really good pick, I think. And <laughs> the last question I'll ask, and um, this is a question I'll, I ask to everyone, is uh, what makes horses special to you? Obviously, from, from I'm very curious from your perspective like what what makes people so addicted to horses <laughs> you know like all I, all I can say is like I said before I just envy that relationship that people who horse lovers have because you see it and it just it just it just seems like such a strong bond and they're just so majestic and so such intelligent animals uh, you know, I can totally see why people fall in love with horses, and I just hope I will someday. <laughs> it's not that I don't. It's not that I don't love them. It's just that I still have this kind of nervousness. But um, yeah, I can totally see. And look, the idea of being able—you know—that's on my bucket list. I'll have to do it someday. But the idea of being able to just hop on a horse and go across the country—you know, not on man-made roads, just cross fields and. You know, I'm sure you saw that movie, The Rider. You know, I watched that and I was like, oh, man, that is just the dream. I would love yeah. to be able to do that. So yeah. uh, may- maybe it's, maybe I'm not too old to start, maybe. But I, <laughs> There's no such thing. There's no such <laughs> but thing. I, do, I, do, I do envy you for uh, 
for having that that uh that bond it's amazing yeah and for the record i always do joke about horseback riding kind of being like like tennis or golf where you can be 80 years old and still playing <laughs> so it's a, it sounds a, it sounds a lot more interesting than golf though i have to say yeah, i will say i will say that but kim thank you so so much for taking the time i know you're super busy um and really really appreciate your insight into filmmaking pure grit and all of these other things so thank you so much for, for taking the time to be on the podcast not at all it was my pleasure thank you thanks for having me absolutely